Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Hello, ladies and gents, boys and girls, me amores. Welcome to episode number 167 of Sober Speak, a meeting at your fingertips. I, John M., will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table, and let's get started. First things first, I want to say Happy New Year or Prospero Año to those that are listening around the globe. And if you're listening to this on the day it is released, which is Friday, January 1st, this is indeed actually New Year's Day. Uh, And if you're listening to it throughout the week or whenever you happen to hear this, uh, uh, Happy New Year. Uh, Welcome to 2021. I know 2020 was challenging, but as I said last week, you know, not everything was challenging, at least for me, throughout all of 2020. There were a lot of silver linings. I hope that you can find some gratitude in your heart for the things that did go well during 2020. And however, I am ready to put 2020 behind me and get on into 2021, as it did 2020 present a lot of new challenges that none of us ever thought we were going to face. But As I mentioned on last week's podcast, or excuse me, last week's episode, I am looking to get y'all more involved on the podcast this year. And what I mean by that is that, did you hear the episode that I recorded last week on sponsorship? I say I recorded, I put it together. Uh, We had about 20 or 25 voices on that episode, giving their experience, strength, and hope where sponsorship was concerned, and I just absolutely loved it. And what I did this time is I sent out an email with a link on it. And if you click on the link, you can record uh, a message. Uh, and, And so anyway, I sent that out. And I had about 20 or so people respond to me giving their experience, strength and hope on sponsorship. And I want to do more of that sort of thing 
coming up here in 2021. But I neglected to less, uh, excuse me, I neglected to mention last week that I got that idea from a gentleman. Uh, he's a great guy. I listen to his podcast all the time. Uh, his podcast is called Inspired Insider, and the guy's name is Dr. Jeremy Wise, W-E-I-S-Z. And he has been doing podcasting forever, and, and he's got a, a, a series in on his podcast called The Giver Series, and it's all these people. It's, it's virtually a who's who of giving. And I will put the link to that particular episode in the show notes if you want to go listen to it yourself. But he had all these people that he had been talking to throughout the years. He had them come in and give their viewpoint on giving. And it reminded me so, so much of Alcoholics Anonymous. In other words, when we come to Alcoholics Anonymous, we're immediately taught to somehow get out of ourselves, right? Look to what you can do for another person. Uh, look how you can help. Look how you can put back into society and to the community and to other individuals. And, and that's what this series is all about. And that's what this particular episode was all about. So while I was listening to him share, uh, excuse me, while I was listening to his guest share about the topic of giving, I thought to myself, self, why can't you do that exact same thing with the Sober Speak audience? And so that's why I kind of gave it a test drive last week on that sponsorship series, excuse me, sponsorship episode. And what I want to do this year and by the way, if you're not on my email list, please uh, go to the website, SoberSpeak.com, or just email me personally, John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com, and I'll get you on that list. What I want to do this year is I want to send out an email to you all, yes, you, you listening in, and give you a chance to give some feedback, your experience, strength, and hope, if you will, on a particular topic. And by the way, if there is a topic that you are most interested in, send me a note at john, J-O-H-N, at com, and I will try to work that in this year. And so what I'll end up doing is I'll send out an email and say, hey, this is the topic. Why don't you share on it? Uh, get it back to me. I'll, I'll give a certain timeline and then I'll release it. It takes a while to stitch all that together once you get it in. So it won't be released immediately. But if you're interested in that, uh, make sure you get on my email list. All right. Now we have Miss Claudia, Claudia H. Claudia was originally on the podcast on episode number 63. It's called Claudia H. Attraction Rather Than Promotion. And we did this in the, I guess, traditional style for Sober Speak. In other words, it was an interview. She was here at my home. We sat down and I absolutely loved her interview. And now, I and this is... A departure from that. This will be just her talking up at a podium without me interrupting her. And you'll get to her, hear her live at a Tri-Cities event. So we will have plenty of oh, listener feedback at the end of this uh, episode, at the end of this episode. And we'll talk to you then. God bless you. Thank you. I'm Claudia. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> And my sobriety date's March 27, 1987. I'm grateful for that. And it's because of you all. And uh, 
you know, I can never give back enough to even make a dent in what I've been given here in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And my, my home group is the Tuesday night speaker meeting group in Haltom City. I That was not the name I voted for is all I'm going to tell you. <laughs> I said, it does not come trippingly off the tongue. And no ice, because I told Steve, my friend, I said, the only way I won't be there if it's iced over, because I'm old, I can't see, you know. The cataracts are ripening, but apparently not fast enough. Or I'd really like to wait till Medicare, okay, there's that. And I said, so I'm not going to drive in the ice. Well, you know, my the God of my understanding is a comedian. Uh, you know, they, I always wanted a moniker in AA, though. You know, no ice kind of wasn't, didn't have that thing, you know, uh, but like Wino Joe or something like that, you know, but no, uh, no ice, Claudia. Uh, the other one I've been called old school AA. I didn't know there was a new school AA, but that's just me. You know, I may be that far out of the loop. Anyway, uh, as luck would have it, I've uh, my car got wrecked, you know, and my cataracts are growing. My new glasses have not come in. I can't see at night, and if it's raining, I really can't see. So as an exercise in humility, I had to ask someone to drive me. It's not driving Miss Daisy, it's driving Miss Claudia, <laughs> you know. And my sponsor says, punctures that ego, doesn't it? And yeah, it does. But I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to have the opportunity to give back any time, any way in Alcoholics Anonymous. Because I've been given a gift. I've been relieved for today of a seemingly hopeless condition of mind and body. And you know, a lot of people don't make it. Even of those that come in, a lot of people don't make it. But I got to. You know, and I don't think I'm special, and I don't think God loves me more than he does the drunk that's puking in the street. But I got to stay. Got to stay sober, and I got to have a wonderful life. I spent more than half my life in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's a good life. And I hope I'm willing to do tomorrow the few simple things that it takes in order to continue to stay here. I was born, obviously. I, <laughs> something happened. Uh, I drank and I came to AA is what I always like to start with. Uh, that's the short version. You're going to get a longer version tonight. But I was born in East Texas, a little town in East Texas, Kilgore, Texas, to be exact. I was not a rangerette. Okay, I wouldn't have qualified. Probably the moral turpitude clause or something like that. Uh, but I was born to a cattle buyer, and my uh, my dad was a cattle buyer. My mom was a bookkeeper. I was the oldest of four children. And I, like a lot of other alcoholics that I've heard from behind podiums just like this, when I felt different from the very beginning, I never felt the way you looked. You looked like you knew what to do. You had it all together. You had figured it out. And the first time I was cognizant of that fact, that I was really aware of it, I was in kindergarten. I needed a drink right at that moment to do kindergarten. <laughs> what I remember is this, is that I was dressed appropriately. I remember exactly what I had on. 
I don't know if non-alcoholics do that. If they can remember back at five and say, I know exactly what I was wearing. I've always been able to remember what I had on, even if I didn't get home with everything. (laughs) And that happened often. I used to have a penchant of losing one shoe, just one. And that irritated me because I'd rather just lose two. But no, I would lose one, and a sane person probably would have gotten rid of the other shoe, but not me. I kept the reminder shoe in the closet. Because who knows, I might find its mate the next night. And that's the way it went. But anyway, I had on a pink dress with blue velveteen bows. I had on black shoes because it was after Labor Day and frilly, itchy socks. My mama used to say, you got to suffer to be pretty. I have done a lot of suffering. I'm just going to tell you. And I was out in the schoolyard, and there's this big kid named Charles, and he looks over, and he goes, get the girl in the pink dress. And I was horrified because I had no idea what Charles was doing. He probably playing tag or something like that, but I didn't know. And my ego kicked in right at that moment because more than anything else, I did not want Charles to know that I did not know what was going on. So I made a decision. I ran. And I believe I ran for about the next 25 years of my life because more than anything else, I didn't want you to know that I didn't know, that I wasn't capable, that I wasn't okay. I made another decision that I was going to try and figure out who you thought I ought to be and be that person. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of insanity. And because of this program, I don't have to do that today. I'm perfectly okay in my skin, who I am. I wouldn't change a thing. A few things, yeah. (laughs) Let me retract that. Uh, Pull that one back. But... Anyway, I also thought I was different because I came from a family where my daddy drank every day and mama cried. And daddy drank and mama cried. Sounds like a country and western song, doesn't it? And But that's the way it, it was. And I am not an alcoholic because my parents were alcoholic. I can tell you that right now. I'm an alcoholic because of what alcohol did to me and for me when I drank it. It made me okay. Wouldn't matter to whom I'd been born to. If alcohol had done those things, I would be an alcoholic. That's just the way that it is. And the other thing I need to say about that, too, is that I I come from some of the greatest people in the world. The best things about Claudia, the things that I like the most, the values that I care the most about are the things that my parents gave me. They just happen to be alcoholic. The fact that I'll be in church on Sunday morning, The fact that I work in the church, the fact that I have a job and go to it on a regular basis, because my my people worked, drunk or sober, they went to work. It's just what you did. You know, my thrift, my children would call it my cheapness. Those are all things that my parents gave me. Good things that you get from growing up in an alcoholic home. One, it's never boring. There's always something happening. You know, and you do crazy, insane things. You know, my mother would get mad at my daddy every two or three days, and we'd leave him. We'd pack up everything in the station wagon, and we'd go to my grandma's house. And we'd drive around. Someplace in the driving around, she'd feel sorry for him, and we'd drive back home, never get out, and unload. After a while, my sister and I got smart. We said, we're not packing up everything because we're going to have to unload it when we get back. My mother would go to the closet and go, you better get that. 
because you're going to want it because we're never, ever coming back. It's like, yeah, we are. We're going to roll in about 3.30 because <laughs> we are consistent within our insanity. <clears throat> it's just, you know, the, and some of those stories just tickle me so much today because it's just alcoholism. It's what we do. Also, I got a lot of skills in the alcoholic home. By the time I was 12, I knew how to get somebody out of jail, get the car out of impound, write a hot check, avoid creditors, necessary skills in order to be a good alcoholic later on myself. When I was young, I was very, I tried to be very good. Not for goodness sake, as the song says. I tried to be good because I didn't want you to look too closely at me. I was afraid if you look too closely, you're going to say, something's wrong with her. She's not okay. So I tried to blend into the wall, just be a part of the furniture. You know, I, I, I was a school teacher, and I'm, I'm back teaching school two days a week. Who could figure that? Uh and they are the cutest kids. I'm just going to tell you, they just tickle me all the time. Uh, but you can see those kids that tried to blend into the wall. They don't make any trouble, and they're really good. And I made good grades. But I was lonely. I didn't know how to do life. I didn't know how to talk to people. I didn't know what to say, how to do it. If I thought about what to say, you'd already walked off, or what came out was the exact wrong thing at the exact wrong moment. I was tangled, twisted, and terrified. All the time. That's what I remember. Uh, desperately wanted to fit in. Desperately wanted friends. Knew that alcoholics know loneliness like nobody else does. Says the, we also feel everything more than everybody else does. There's that. Uh, when I was about 13, my daddy went bankrupt in the cattle business, and we moved up to the north into Fort Worth, and I made a decision that I was going to find some group of people that I could fit in with. I was willing to go to any lengths, absolutely do anything. Moved up to Fort Worth, and I looked around, and I saw a group of people I thought that I could fit in with. They had a limited set of criteria. You had to drink and do other things, wear a certain type of clothes, and get in trouble. They were the hippies, and that ages me, but I'm proud to be approaching 63. And it looked like if you did those things, you could hang with them, and I thought, I can fulfill this set of criteria. And so I begged my mama for the hippie clothes, which was not easy. My daddy's a cattle buyer. My brothers are rodeo cowboys. Daddy didn't like long hair on boys or girls. But I knew what to do. I just waited till Mama got mad at him, and she'd go along with anything. <laughs> and So I'm manipulative, too, by this point. Got an ego. You know, that was like I, I used to say I was shy as a young child. My sponsor calls that self-centeredness, not shyness, because all about me. Anyway, I'm dressed appropriately. I start telling them about all my drinking adventures in Kilgore, Texas. I hadn't even had a drink at this point, but I'm pretty good at lying, too. So I've got another skill set. And wasn't too long after that that I had my first encounter with alcohol. Now, I need to tell you two things. One, I wasn't going to be an alcoholic because I thought I knew what an alcoholic was, what they acted like and what they smelled like. And that was my daddy. You know, I thought he was crazy and she was even crazier for going to get him all the time. My mother had an internal GPS long before there were GPSs. We'd go get him every Saturday night at the Pilot Point Auction Barn, not too far from Little Elm. And uh, 
I had to go with her because somebody had to drive the pickup truck back. She always found him and the pickup truck. Never failed to, to do it. Every time. We went up there one night and found him, and he was in a motel room. And the door was open, and there was money laying all around. He's in his underwear, and he's seeing things on the wall. And I didn't think, this is a sick man. How can I help? I thought, he's crazy. She's crazier. And as soon as I can, I'm going to get as far away as I can, and I will never, ever be like them. See, I thought that if I knew what alcoholism was, I would not be one. And our book says that knowledge avails us nothing. And it didn't do one thing for me. So anyways, about this time I had my first drink. I wasn't going to be an alcoholic, like I said. And I went over to this girl's house, and her parents were gone, and some older guys came over, and they brought some booze, and I started drinking, and the magic happened. Suddenly I was okay. Now I have to say this, at 13, I was a stick. I didn't go through puberty until I was about 18 years old. I wanted to get into junior petite so that I wouldn't have to wear stuff that had dogs and duckies on it. <laughs> I had waist-length reddish-brown hair, freckles on my face, and braces on my teeth. I used to cry to Mama and say, Mama, I want to be pretty. I want to be pretty. And she'd say, but you're so wholesome. <laughs> like a cow. I want to be a Guernsey when I grow up. What I really wanted to be was a sex goddess, you know. Started drinking and suddenly, now I wasn't a sex goddess, but I had a good chance on being a sex goddess at some point. There was hope. I was okay for the first time in my life, and I actually thought, this is it. I am okay. It was my solution. It was that power greater than myself that allowed me to do what I could on my own, and I did well alone. And I set about to do it as often as I could, whenever I could. You know, the problem with alcoholism is that it's a progressive disease. I didn't think I was alcoholic at that point. It was my solution. How could it be a problem? I started suffering consequences. I have to tell you about the way I drank. I never drank one. I don't believe I ever drank socially. I never intended to drink socially. I used to say I'm drinking to get there, that place where you're okay and it's not too sloppy and you don't lose too much time. I blacked out for greater or lesser periods from the beginning. I thought that happened to everybody when they drank. I could consume enormous amounts for my size. I could drink big guys under the table. I didn't know I was paving my way into Alcoholics Anonymous. I just I thought I could hold my liquor, and people would say, you can hold your liquor. And y'all, I was so proud of that. <laughs> Look at me. I can hold my liquor. I've been able to put it on several resumes. Can hold my liquor. I went from being a straight-A student to my grades were in the toilet. Started getting in trouble. Wasn't too long after that that I began to fulfill that third criteria. My mama caught me smoking cigarettes. She said, I'm going to tell your daddy. So I made a decision to run away. I was going to Boulder, Colorado. Why? That's where all the hippies were going. So I packed up all my hippie gear, called a guy I knew with a car, and took off. I had 39 cents, no brush, and the waist-length hair. I wasn't very well prepared. It wasn't a well-thought-out journey. And I don't know what I thought my parents would do. Say, hey, send us a postcard from Boulder. Let us know when you decide to come back. They stopped what they were doing long enough to put it out an all-points bulletin on me. And they found me the next night in an abandoned two-story house in Lake Worth, Texas. We're on the second floor. Heard the knock on the door. 
It was the police. They were looking for me, not somebody else, as I hoped. And I was so frightened that I ran to the balcony and I jumped. Missed the concrete by about an inch. I know the God of my understanding has been taking care of me a long time. Even though at that moment I thought death was preferable to seeing my mama. My mama was a short, mean little woman who carried a hammer in her purse as her weapon of choice. I have seen her walk into bar rooms and clear it out in less than five minutes. She'd pick up anything when she had a mat on. It was uh, impressive is what it was. But I didn't have a lot of other options, so I went home. They burned all my hippie clothes and sent me to school the next day in a little purple double-knit dress that my mother had bought. It was that ghastly 70 double-knit. If any, Not many of you are old enough to remember, it was awful. She said, I'd ruined my reputation. I'm sure that purple-knit dress did. They're probably still talking about it because you know I'm the center of the universe and everything. Wasn't too long after that they said I needed to change schools because I could never live down the shame of what I had done. So I changed schools. I immediately fell in with the people that were doing what I was doing. I've always been able to find you folks. You just tend to be in recovery today. (laughs) And I was off and running. Managed to graduate from high school by the grace of God, literally. Nothing that I did. If they had the same rules uh, back then that they do today, I never would have made it. Never would have made it. I graduated 235 out of a class of 250. I was 15th from the end. The counselor called me in my senior year, and she said, what are you going to do when you get out of high school? I said, well, I'm going to college. And she issued to me what I believe is the AA challenge. She said, oh, you're not college material. I believe the reason I have a degree today is I had to show that woman that she was wrong about me. The same thing happened to me in my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Everyone went in, everybody was was lambs and bunnies. The women huddled up around me. They gave me their numbers. They took mine, which is wonderful. And I don't mean to decry that. There's this one girl, though, Marlis. And she's a tough old bar broad, let me tell you. Got a lot of eyeliner. (laughs) Deep old smoker's voice. I don't think she smiled much ever. And she looked at me, put her hand on her hip, and she said, you'll never make it. I stayed sober at her for three months. (laughs) You know, it's the AA challenge is what it is. And it worked on me. And, of course, you know what happened. We became friends, and she died sober because that's always the way it works in Alcoholics Anonymous. Anyway, I left home, graduated. I'm 17 years old. I got a better job waiting tables. I left home because I have to get away from the crazy people because everything that's wrong in my life is their fault. Oh, I blame them. They were such a convenient excuse to drink. And after I ran out of them, I found somebody else that I could blame everything on because I think that's what we do. I went to the junior college for two years. Uh, worked full-time, went to school full-time, drank full-time. I believe alcoholics have the constitution of oxes because we can do things and live to tell about it that normal people cannot. Went there two years, then moved up to Denton for two years. Now I'm working in Fort Worth. I'm living in Denton and going to school up there, and I'm driving old 377 because I think I'm less likely to get stopped. You know, things start coming unwound in Denton. That may not be a word, but I sure like the sound of it. It kind of rolls, <laughs> doesn't it? They start coming unwind. I'm losing bigger and bigger chunks of time. 
I'm waking up in places and with people that I don't want to be with. I'm beginning to suffer remorse and guilt, but I quickly find out what works on that. You drink. You drink. The people I'm running with start talking about my drinking. They begin to say things like, you drink too much, Claudia. You drink and drive too much. And I would think, get a life. Why are you talking about me? You closed the bar down with me last night. But it seemed like it became a litany that people were just saying it over and over. And I probably only said it three times, and I rolled it around in my alcoholic mind and was sure they were all talking about me all the time. My 21st birthday rolled around. My best friend said, Claudia, you're not going to drink and drive tonight. So she drove. Forgot one thing. I didn't run around with anybody wasn't drinking the way I was drinking. By this time, I'm drinking before I get to the bar. Why? It's cost effective. In order to be a good drunk, you have to work at it. It is not easy. This is what I know. Anyway, she drove. And, of course, wrecked my car, got totaled. I also had a penchant for buying the worst cars on the market. For those of you that are old enough, this is almost an anachronistic example anymore. I had a Vega. It had an aluminum head if you're young, okay? And what that meant, I used to brag to my ninth graders when I taught them, say, I could get by on $2 worth of gas for a month. I didn't tell them I had to carry case oil in the back to keep rolling. <laughs> and then I had two Pintos, and the Pintos had exclo- exploding gas tanks. This was the first or second Pinto. One of them I rolled six times in broad daylight. Five wrecks by the time I'm 21, all alcohol-related. I... God's grace, that's all I can come up with. Anyway, I didn't know what to do. The crazy people are still crazy. I can't go back to them. My car's totaled. The bank actually owns more of the car than I do. So, you know, that was a small technicality. Didn't know what to do, so I called a guy I'd been seeing. Now, I had three kinds of relationships with men. I used to say before I got into Alcoholics Anonymous, that one's not quite true. But they were nice guys, and I wouldn't have anything to do with them. I made them gods and followed them around like a puppy dog. They call that stalking today. (laughs) I'm glad I got sober before caller ID, or you might have a different speaker. (laughs) Or they didn't like me, I didn't like them. We had a long-term relationship. He was of the latter, but he answered the phone. And this is before caller ID. He answered the phone, and then he stayed on the phone. He didn't hang up. And he said some magic words to me. He said, I'll come get you. And I told him my tale of woe, how it was all my parents' fault and how sick, sad, and sorry my life was. And he said, I'll take care of you. And I thought, that's it. If someone will take care of me, I'll be okay. That's what I need. Obviously, I need somebody to take care of me. So he came to get me, and I went back with him, moved in. You know, He also lived within a mile of my job, and I don't have a ride, remember? I did a lot wrong. I had a lot to atone for when I got to the ninth step. You know, he had long hair, drove a van. My daddy hated him. I married him three months later. <laughs> there were signs it was not going to be a marriage made in heaven. He was what I call a weenie drunk. He drank two margaritas and get a headache. I thought he would get better with practice. <laughs> didn't happen. You know, we talk about the invisible line. Some people cannot cross it. They don't have the right stuff. They are just not the true grit to make it over. 
he was one of those. And he would say things to me like, all you want to do is party. And I'd go, well, isn't that what life is? He fussed about my drinking, so I began to hide my drinking. Now, this is not alcoholic. No, necessary. Not my fault. His fault. If he wouldn't fuss, I wouldn't have to hide it. Again, I don't see it as a problem. It's still my solution. And, you know, I began to think in my my 20s that there's going to be some point where I'm not going to feel the need to party anymore, that I'm going to wake up and it's going to be different. Something will change. It'll be external, something on the outside. I kept thinking if I get my outsides to look like y'all's, then I'll wake up and be okay. It'll be the great metamorphosis. I'll come to and I'll be different. And that did, the only thing that has made me different is to come in and say, Hi, I'm Claudia. I'm an alcoholic. And follow the directions of a short little woman who I didn't know her last name for six months. That's what has changed me. That is what has made the difference. And I know there are other solutions out there, but this is mine. And I'm pretty passionate about it because I know it works. I know it works. My oldest grandson is 26, and he's got two years sober. He came to me a couple of years ago, and he said, what do you think? I said, well, you know, if you keep having problems drinking, you might have a problem drinking. (laughs) And uh, because I was fortunate enough to be raised by a bunch of old-timers, I knew what to say. I said, I don't know. I can't decide if you're an alcoholic or not. He said, I believe I could quit on my own. I said, well, then I think I'd try. But if not, you might want to remember Alcoholics Anonymous. Two days later, he said, I think I got it. I said, good for you. And then I had to sew my mouth shut and go tell his sponsor that to slap me if I overstepped some bounds. And I've wanted to. I'd like to do a little directing, but I hadn't been asked. So there's that. Anyway, again, things come unwound. You know, I love Bill's story where it says, gradually things got worse. That's my story. Gradually they got worse. Graduated from college with a degree in English literature. I got certified to teach English and history, and I didn't teach. You know, people ask you, have you been going to school five, six, seven years? Why you're not doing something with that degree you worked so hard to attain? And I would say things like, well, I just haven't found myself. I might want to go to graduate school. I might want to write the great American novel. I'd been anesthetized most of my life. I don't know what I was going to base it on. But it sounded good. The truth was I was afraid to teach because I thought if you taught, they might require you to know some of that great literature, some of that history. And after having taught in DISD for 10 years, I know they don't care if you know it or not. That's not what the requisites are. Um, plus, I found a great job waiting tables. You're busy. They let you drink on the job. They closed at midnight. You could sit around at the bar and drink till three or four, and I could tell him I was at work. I had found heaven. <laughs> but again, it's progressive. I'm losing bigger and bigger chunks of time. I'm waking up in places and with people I don't want to be with. So I do the next right thing. I'm beginning to think there's a problem, but it's not the alcohol. It's him. You know, after my parents, he's the cause of everything that's wrong in the universe. It's him. And I I, I thought, well, you know, it's got to be it's got to be him. It's got to be that. When I turn 25, it'll be different. Really, of all the things that I thought that I could do to make me different, I thought being a mom 
That would be the thing. I'd straighten up. I'd do it because I would love them so much. I'd always wanted kids. I wanted a bunch of them. I got a bunch of them today. I got what I asked for. Um, so I got pregnant. I didn't drink as much during that first pregnancy, but I didn't do right. And my first baby was stillborn. And the remorse and guilt was incredible. Incredible. Got pregnant again right after that. Because now I got something else to feel sorry for myself about. With my oldest child, Rachel drank more during that pregnancy. After Rachel was born, one of my brothers died. I used that as another excuse to drink. Got pregnant again with my second daughter, Sarah. Um, drank more during that pregnancy. Got pregnant again for a third time. After Sarah's pregnancy, we start going to the counselors and the therapist and things like that for the problems in the marriage. My marriage looks a lot like my parents' marriage, but guess who the drunk is? It's me. It's me. Got pregnant with my son Daniel, and I drank pretty much alcoholically throughout that pregnancy. And by the grace of God, I have three healthy children. And it's grace. And grace is unearned and undeserved. I did nothing to deserve the children that I have. Nothing. It, if it had been today, they'd have never let me walk out with them from the hospital. And that's just the truth. Kind of helped that I did see my gynecologist in the program of alcoholics and honest, but anyway, that <laughs> could probably be another reason. Uh, when I was pregnant with Dan, I, I knew I was an alcoholic. Because, see, I know what an alcoholic looks like and acts like and smells like. I know. And I'm saying those emergency prayers, please, God, let this baby be okay. If you let the baby be okay, I swear, I swear to God, I'll quit. I'll do whatever it takes to quit. And I meant it. It's just like those people that come into the rooms and want to want to get sober. They're sincere. In their want to, they're just, for whatever reason, not there yet. I wish there was something that we could do to make them get there. Bonk them on the head. You know, hit them with a big book. Do something like that. Tie them up. But we can't. We can't. Anyway, Dan was okay. And I was drunk the next day. And I drank for the next 18 months. And I love that passage, and there is a solution that says, We have known much of heaven. Because if you've been where I've been, you've been to the other place. I did everything I knew. I changed the way I drank. I, I'd get up in the morning and say, Please, not today. Not today. And then I'd look up, and I'd be at the 6th of the 16th. Went to work. Got fired from several waitress jobs for my drinking. Went to church. I thought if I could just go to church and stand next to those normal people, what they have will jump onto me just by osmosis or something would happen and I would be like them. Taught fourth grade Sunday school drunk. Went to work for the church daycare drunk. Got fired from the church daycare for my drink. It's hard to go lower than that. That's <laughs> what, you know. Left him. Oh, I knew if I leave him, I won't drink. Left him, I drank more, so I just went back. Now I knew there was a solution. When I was 16, my daddy quit drinking for the first of many times. He white-knuckled it. He did not go to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And when he was not drinking or using pills, there's that. 
He was angry and miserable and bitter. My mother, who had never drank, started drinking, became a total alcoholic, and lost everything in four years' time. And my mother was a weird drunk. She'd drink two days and puke three. Nothing changed that pattern. Drink two. She did start on Mad Dog 2020. I thought at first that was it. But she graduated to vodka pretty quickly. And But I thought, I would not drink. Oh, I'm so self-righteous. I would not drink if I puke like that. Because I personally got sick only twice. And y'all, it's because I had white, uh, chocolate milk, white donuts, and Fritos. And it was a bad combination. <laughs> it had to be that or maybe a slight virus. I've got a cast iron stomach. Anyway, I used to think I wouldn't drink. I wouldn't drink. And literally, she abandoned my father and my brothers and lost everything. Everything. In four years' time, just like the book says. One day she calls me and she's in a treatment center in East Texas. I think, isn't that nice for mom? She has a lot of problems. She needs help. So condescending. So condescending. Mother gets out and starts going to AA. She gets a sponsor. She becomes different. I'm not sure I like mom sober. For one thing, this is how I knew she was different. I used to call and say, the baby needs shoes, and she'd give me money, and I'd buy booze. Now I'd call and say, baby needs shoes, and she'd buy shoes, but she wouldn't hand me money. Couldn't figure that out. Same thing with food. But I want to tell you, this is where the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and Practicing Principle come in. Because my mother practiced attraction, not promotion. I was a phone drunk. I like to call between 12 and 4 and have a long philosophical conversation with anybody to hang on the phone with me. <laughs> and I always say, as drunks, we use people up and we can do that drunk or we can do it sober. Mom is the last to go. Mom will hang in there longer than just about anybody else will. I truly believe that. My mother never once said, you're an alcoholic. She never once said, what are you doing to your children, Claudia? She was just an example of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, I've raised children in this program, and not one of them's an alcoholic. Sometimes I wish they were. We could help them. Anyway, um, the love that it took... And the belief in this program that it took to exemplify it and practice those principles with your child. It's incredible when I think about it. Incredible. On March the 27th, 1987, I came to about 10 o'clock in the morning. I'd been drinking because I was a daily drinker. My children were 4, 2, and 18 months. So I was that drunk mom. And what I saw when I came to was that it was me and my drinking. It wasn't them or it or they. It was me and my drinking. I'd run out of ideas. I knew that the program had worked for mom. And if you could sober her up, you could do anything. And I called Alcoholics Anonymous that day. And I believe I chose life that day and that every day I do this deal, I choose life, not just for me, but for those around me. Because alcoholism is a family disease. And if I go out tomorrow, I'm going to tear up some folk on the way down because that's the nature of the illness. I don't want that. I don't want that. 
And I made my first meeting, and they had a first step meeting for me. I'd been drinking. Good thing that sober is not required when you walk in. Uh, they could have smelled me a mile away anyway, but uh, went in, and uh, they, had, they did tell me to shut up because apparently I, they didn't want to hear my share. I had something to say. Uh, and after the, the meeting, the women huddled up around me, and they, they gave me their numbers. They took mine. Somebody called me that night. I think it's Norm Alfie that always talked about seconds and inches. You know, just seconds and inches. Anyway, for the first time in my life, I followed the direction of somebody else. I didn't have a better idea. They said, get a sponsor. I got a sponsor. I didn't know how to choose a sponsor. I chose my first sponsor because she had a great haircut, the cutest outfits. She had a car. All of the tires matched. And the windows didn't just roll down. They rolled back up again. I wanted everything she had. And I was willing to go to any length to get it. Well, I didn't realize I'd made a misstep, okay? I did not understand that she was an AA Nazi, basically, is what it seemed like to me at the time. Because she seemed so sweet. And she was. And she loved me. She loved me enough to tell me the truth. There are no rules in AA, but she had some. <laughs> this is what, what she said. She said, if I'm going to sponsor you, this is what you will do. And if not, you can ask somebody else to sponsor you. And if not, we'll refund your misery at the door. It's up to you. And I went, well, okay. What are they? I had to go to meetings. So there was no reason to not go to a meeting. If your job interfered with the meeting, you better get another job. Because if you didn't say sober, you weren't going to have that job anyway. She said, I had to start giving back day one. My first job was washing ashtrays. Thank God. How lucky is the group that has something for a newcomer to do? Because you take away that alcohol, I can't talk. I'm so socially awkward. I'm tangled. I'm twisted. I'm terrified. But I can wash ashtrays. Don't ask me any questions because I may not be able to think of the answer. But I can wash ashtrays. It gave me something to, I was a part of because I couldn't get kicked out of here. I didn't know where else I'd go. She said I had to start making amends to my children day one. And my amends that first day and today is the same one. And that's to stay sober and to work this program with all I got. Those kids, the oldest one, went to University of Texas on a full-ride scholarship. She speaks three languages. She and her husband and the three boys are staying with me right now while they build a house in Mansfield, and every day that it rains is another month. <laughs> but you know it's been going real well. I was terrified. I had to do like a tenth step, 15 sponsor calls. It's gone wonderfully. It, I'm going to miss them, and they're, well, maybe not the dog, but I'm going to miss them <laughs> when they go. That second girl, uh, she's a warrant officer. She is the JAG warrant officer in the Texas Army National Guard. She's been to Iraq and Afghanistan. She's a veteran. Now, when she went to Iraq, she asked that I send her her chi flat iron. I said, what are you going to do with a flat? Yeah, are you going to brand the enemy? I mean, what is this about? <laughs> She's doing real well. She's married to a wonderful guy. And then my son, Daniel, he lives in San Antonio, and he's the best kid I got. We struggled for a while. 
Daniel and I really struggled. He's my God baby. God gifted him to me. And I had to follow sponsored direction because the reason my kids are good is because of y'all. Y'all taught me how to be a mom. I had no clue. You taught me what to do and when to do it. But I was giving a lot of direction. And I, I don't know how many of you got grown children, but my ch grown children, direction to them, they hear it as criticism. So my sponsor gave me a list of things I could say, and it goes like this. Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> Is that so? <laughs> You're smart, baby. You'll figure it out. <laughs> no matter what happens, I love you, baby. And because of that, we have a great... We talked to him on the way up, up, up at Brahms a while ago, you know. He says, tell y'all hi. I took him with me. We were down at the state convention in uh, San Antonio, and I was staying with him. And he said, I'll go with you to some meetings, because my kids went to meetings with me. I mean, they grew up in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm talking. Y'all that know me know I was talking to somebody at the wall if nobody was willing to listen. Anyway, I'm visiting, and Dan's like... He's saving me a seat, so he's waving, going, Mama, Mama, Mama. I said, just a minute, just a minute. He goes, Mama, come all the way in. Sit all the way down. Because they believe in this program. If they come across a drunk, they call. Do you know somebody? Do you have a meeting? Will you talk to this person? Y'all did that. Y'all's example did that. Anyway, my sponsor said, uh, and that, that's why the kids weren't an excuse not to go to meetings. So my kids did come, and they grew up in the program. Thank God. She said I had to work the steps. The, the 12 steps says having had a spiritual awakening as the only result of these steps, that that was our program of recovery, and that we had to start at the beginning of the book, the blank page. That was what I knew about Alcoholics Anonymous and work through. And then I had to continue to practice over and over. I've worked through the steps. I've, I, I don't know how many times. But I get something every time. I get something every time. That's the coolest thing to me. Um, and so we started. And I knew that it was a, about God. I saw that in the third step. You know, y'all weren't fooling me. We got step two, and I, she said, you get to choose your conception. Now, y'all, I have to tell you, I thought that was the weirdest, craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. I mean, God is God is God, right? Spirit of the universe is just spirit of the universe. She kept pointing out conception, your conception. You get to choose. I thought, this will never work. Truth is, I believed in God. I just didn't think God was going to want anything to do with me. I thought I was the worst of the worst and the baddest of the bad. What I found out is I wasn't even good at being bad. I'm just kind of mediocre bad. <laughs> Semi-sorta. I hate that word. Either one of, I used to say all the time, I want to win everything or fail miserably. I did a lot of failing miserably. Uh, anyway, I did what she said. And I may talk big back here, but I don't talk back to sponsor. One, I'm frightened of all of them. And I don't mean frightened, frightened. I mean respectfully frightened because they take time out of their lives to give to me with no thought of return. That's what they do. And I need to respect that. So I, I thought if you get to pick, I need a big God because I got big trouble.
I got hot checks out. I'm so glad I got sober when you could still kite a check and get a two-week turnaround. Y'all just don't know. Now that instant credit thing, whew, I'd have been in trouble. The lights would have stayed off. That's all I'm going to say. Anyway, I had hot checks at the DA's office. I was married to him. Obviously, he didn't like me. I didn't like him either. I had three small children, two of them weren't potty trained. They don't just go potty train themselves. Didn't know what I was going to do about all that. So I thought, I need a big God because I got big trouble. And I'll, I'll tell you today, I'd put my God up against anybody's because I believe he's the biggest one in the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex. Anyway, it took took time little by slow I came to believe for one thing I saw you stay sober and some of you had great reasons to drink and I would think man I drink if you're new don't think this this is not a good thought okay uh, man I'd drink if that happened to me and not only did you not drink you were okay you were meeting calamity with serenity I was impressed I was staying sober. Everything I had done had not kept me sober. I'd get up in the morning, I'd pray like my sponsor told me to. She said, pray whether you believe or not. Believe that I believe. That's enough. Believe that I believe it will work for you, Claudia. And that's what I did. And then eventually, I have a step two story. That moment, it wasn't that I wasn't coming to believe. It's that I believed that God wanted something to do with me. When I was 11 months sober, I left my first husband with $10, three kids, and two suitcases and went to a women's shelter. Now, I'm not that smart, but I told my sponsor, I said, I don't know what I'm going to do because they eat three times a day. And she said, well, you're going to trust God. I thought, well, she didn't hear me. I said, they eat three times a day. And she said, trust God. I said, I'm willing to do that. I have the concept. Where is the food going to come from? <laughs> And she said, trust God. And my truth today is that God always meets me at the exact moment of my need. Not before. Not when I think he should. It's like, here's a check, Claudia. Don't worry. It'll be okay. No, someplace in the stepping out on faith, he meets me. And that's what happened there. <coughs> my children didn't do without a thing. Not a thing. I'll tell you something else cool. Um... Both of my daughters and my son are, they're very community minded. And my, my second daughter, Sarah, she does a lot of work for the women's shelter. This Christmas Eve, the kids and I got to serve dinner at the same shelter we were in 31 years ago. And I'll tell you, there's no way to get from there to here without God. There is no way. Anyway, I thought it was, comes full circle. Comes full circle. I wasn't going to cry this much. Apparently I am, but that's okay. <laughs> I always wanted to cry pretty. I never do. I sling snot, my mascara, and my makeup runs. I want to cry like Marlena Dietrich. One crystal tear glistening on me. <laughs> she, of course, she had those false eyelashes. That, that probably helped. Um but anyway, got out of the women's shelter, got a better job waiting tables. I always say if my business goes belly up and my part-time job that I have now, I'm going to go to Denny's or Waffle House because that's where old waitresses go to die. And I'm going to make good money. Um, started applying at school districts. They weren't beating down my door going, please come teach our children. 
Uh, eventually, I got hired, Dallas Independent School District, and, uh, you know, scared to death because I still don't remember any of the literature. Well, they got me teaching history. I know less about that. My sponsor said, just fake it till you make it. <laughs> I thought, what are you talking about? I didn't even, first day they said, well, show up tomorrow at 8.15. This is after I got hired. And I thought, okay. And so I show up. I thought they were going to, like, train me or something. And the principal comes in. He said, let's go. I said, where are we going? He goes, to your first class. I said, do you mind telling me what I'm teaching? And is there a book for it or something like that? I went in and just faked it. Ninth graders don't care if you lie to them. They really, they're not listening to you anyway, so you can just say whatever you want to. That's made stuff up, you know. Oh, scared to death. Scared to death. I mean, I whined and cried. I thought, how many hours do I have to take to not do this because I can't do it? I talked to every teacher in Fort Worth that was a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous to help me through, and they were just like, Claudia, just go in there tomorrow and try again. It's like, Ugh. But, uh, you know, that's what, and my sponsor said, she goes, "What? Well, I'll tell you what you do. You go tomorrow and you look for that kid, that kid that's not okay, that needs somebody to say something kind. You be kind, and you look for a way to give back and be kind, Claudia. And, you know, one day the next right thing was to just teach school. Just teach school. Those ninth graders taught me so much about unconditional love. So much. You know, I, I got to learn to be different. I got to learn to be different, and God gave me that opportunity we were talking about Renee earlier. It was an opportunity. It didn't look like one at first, and then I didn't want the opportunity, but I got it. And I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't change a thing. I did an inventory, and I got the relief from the fifth step. I also advocate getting rid of the inventory because I did not. And it took me four years to get divorced, 27 court appearances, three social studies and two final hearings. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. A bunch of money I did not have. Um, but he got hold of that four step. Now some people say, oh, you don't have to get rid of it. Yeah, you do. It has the potential to hurt a lot of people. Not only that, who I am at the beginning at that resentment list is not who I am at the other end. We make the turn in the four step. Good sponsorship or my sponsors, they don't allow me after that point to blame them. They're going to say, what did you do? Or did you place yourself in a position to be hurt? Because I always have. I always have. And that's what I get to work on then. But anyway, I've been teaching at Kimball three years and went to school one day. And all over the parking lot in several hundred copies were the worst items in my inventory. Yeah, well, that's what I said and a whole lot more. But luckily, you know, there's some professions that attract our kind. Teaching is one of them. And I, I see some nods. Out, yeah, I, know, I know who you are. My late husband used to say, we all teachers look alike. I don't think so. Do you see an apple or a pencil earring? No. <laughs> Not going to be caught dead in one either. I'm just telling you. So I went to my sponsor, and I'm crying, and the mascara and the eyeliner is running across the bleach. And it was bad. And she goes, let's go to the office. And I thought, I want to go to New York City. Why? Nobody knows me in New York City. I think that's a good, and I probably would have, but I didn't get well at once. I still had hot checks out. And so we went to the office. I had not put down on my application that I was a member of AA. 
you know, if, if you have a situation like that, you need to have to pray and talk to your sponsor. We didn't because we didn't think I'd get hired. So they could have fired me right then. They could have fired me right then. And But not only that, it's the worst items in my inventory. It's not the, oh, I stole makeup from Sally Sue in the fifth grade. It's the worst. I'm not sharing them from behind this podium either. Because I'd be vomiting, according to my sponsor, if I did. Anyway, I was horrified. Went and were, my dean of instruction is looking at it, and she's shaking her head. And she goes, but nobody would believe this. And I go, but it's true. <laughs> Truth is stranger than fiction. And she said, we're going to try to keep your job, but we don't know. And so I went home, and I wore out all my sponsor, all my support people. And uh, I woke up in the middle of the night, and it's the last time I remember the gut, the wind blowing through my gut like that in sobriety. And got up the next morning, I put on my best dress, because if you're going down, you got to look good. I prayed all the way to school, and I said, God, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't face them. Now they know what I've been running from since I was in kindergarten. Now they know. And, you know, all I had to do was step out of the car. Because, again, God met me at the exact point of my need. It was like I was wrapped in cotton, and he carried me the rest of the way. I was really concerned about my ninth graders. I thought they won't respect me anymore. I don't know if you know any ninth graders personally. They respect no one. <laughs> you better just hope they don't throw sharp objects. I used to say they're alien beings from a, another planet who return to human form sometime in the sophomore or junior year if their parents are really lucky, and it may be a whole lot later. <laughs> and, uh, but I didn't have any trouble from my kids. Not any trouble. Now, there were some adults didn't talk to me. But I went into my first class. There was a kid, and his name was Melvin Neville. He had the highest hair at Kimball High School. And he used to stick stuff in it to defy gravity. It's a distraction technique. you know, And it worked. Just like, wow, what have you got in your hair? Uh, it was impressive. But I went in there, and I said, good morning, Mr. Neville. He said, Miss, good morning, Miss Garner. That was my name at the time. And he said, I said, I'm so glad to see you. He said, I'm so glad to see you that I don't intend to miss a day. And he didn't miss a day for the next two years. Um, at Forced Up got put out again at the end of the year, and uh, I sponsored the mock trial team, and they picked it up. And they said, you're not picking this up. We're picking it up because this is not you on this paper. We don't know who this is. Because, see, they knew me as a product of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's not who I was anymore. Even stranger than that, I've been there eight years. I got Teacher of the Year. It only happens in AA and in fairy tales. <laughs> and good things came out of that because after that, I'd have a, a, a colleague come up and say, I've got a husband with a drinking problem. Or I've got a daughter with a drinking problem. Or a student would say, I've got a mother with a drinking problem. So... And I'll tell you what happened. I was such a people pleaser. I was consumed with what you thought. So self-centered. I got free of a lot of that that day. I got to walk free. And it's not that I don't want people to like me. I do. But I am perfectly okay if you don't. I'm okay in my own skin. Again, that was kind of a brutal way for it to happen, but it worked. Six and seven, I worked at being different. Little by slow. You know, eventually I quit writing hot checks. 
I had to work on the man deal. That was tough. My sponsor said, you need to let God decide. I didn't want God to decide. He might decide you don't get nothing. And she goes, if he decides that there's no one for you, you'll, he'll let you be okay with it. And that's what happened. Then along came Mr. Jack. And I married someone in Alcoholics Anonymous. He was 21 years older than me. And he had 18 years more sobriety. And we had an amazing run together. We were business partners, marriage partners, parenting partners. We blended two families. And I wanted to, if you knew all of our children, you would know what a miracle that is. We always keep bail money, just in case, <laughs> because they'll fight amongst themselves, but you let something outside attack, and they will go in force, and it can be really ugly. So it's just necessary. And Mr. Jack died uh, six years ago in April, and we're still together. And the big ones are still fighting today, and I'm going to try and avoid all phone calls for the next 24 hours, but there's that, because that's not a good place to be in the middle of the fights. Uh, anyway, but what a gift. I've got six grandchildren. What a gift that is. My oldest grandchild, he's not my blood grandchild. Somebody asked him, they said, well, that's not, he was about eight. They said, that's not your real grandmother. He goes, you just don't understand. After a while, the blood is the same. That's the way it works. <laughs> what a gift. Made amends. I'm continuing to make amends to my kids. I made a lot of direct amends. My sister, her husband, people I worked with, uh, that daycare, the church daycare, it let me come back for a while. You know, what a testament again to y'all. My parents, I made direct amends to my parents. But I found that over time, those amends grew. The more sober I got, the more harm I realized I had caused. You know? They were drunks. I was worse. I was worse. Uh, my mom lived with me and Mr. Jack. He said when he married me, he said, I know your mom's part of the deal. So he married me, my mom, with the three kids and the dog. Who does that? And she lived with us till she died. She had problems other than alcohol. She had mental issues. And uh, I was able to care for her. And because of good sponsorship, I was able to be kind. I didn't want to be kind all the time. I wanted to be angry and fussy and ugly. Because of good sponsorship. Thank God for that. Because I don't have a lot of regrets. But I got to care for her. My dad, he kept breaking out drunk. Well, and pills, too, okay? Kept breaking out drunk. Last drunk he went on, he went crazy. He bought a bunch of cattle on credit without the money. Three-quarters of a million dollars worth. The Texas Rangers became involved because of cattle theft. I don't know if you know that. We had to stop him. He'd been writing hot checks all over town like father, like daughter. We, What can I say? And we'd come a long way in our relationship. The day I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, he said, he said, if you can't quit like I did, you're just a loser. I said, well, I can't quit like you did. Uh, ten years later, he's saying that the greatest organization on earth is Alcoholics Anonymous because of what it did for me. I wish it could have done it for him. I just couldn't. Anyway, we stopped him. He was in a borrowed, stolen, lime green Volkswagen. I think this is a funny story. Some people don't. Borrowed lime green Volkswagen. He had a, a checkbook. He had a briefcase with a checkbook in it because you got to hang paper. Uh, porn tapes, extends, loaded gun, and a gallon of gin in the front street. He was bad. He was nationwide. He was on the road. I, that's alcoholism. 
that is alcoholism. Anyway, we got him stopped and were able to do equity shifts and nobody went to jail, you know, and I was able to care for him till he died. When I look at the truth of it, my parents did the best they could. Nobody gets up at five and says, I want to grow up and be an alcoholic and hurt a bunch of people. You know, nobody does that. And the truth is, my mom showed me the way in. My dad showed me what life would look like if I didn't do The winner here is Claudia. It's Claudia. I persevere in 10. And the forgiveness, when I was able to forgive that last level with him, I got freedom at a new level because I hung on. Y'all did some secret blaming. Don't do that either if you're new. Anyway, I persevere in 10. I improve my relationship with the power greater than myself in 11, and I try to give back in 12 in any way that I can. My favorite thing to do is to work with another female alcoholic. And I've been gifted in the last several years to work with some of the greatest women in Alcoholics Anonymous. They help me way more than I do them because this is what happens. I go from my kitchen to my garage. I want to kill somebody or myself. Then somebody calls. They have a hangnail. I have to stop my thoughts of suicide and murder in order to work on this hangnail because it's important. And then what happens is I hang up the phone and go, well, what was I so upset about? I'm really okay. I'll tell you one more story and then I'll sit down and shut up. Um, Got to do some 12-step calls early on, and this is my favorite one. I was going to Southwest Group at the time, and this little girl came in. She's about 4'11", got fire engine red hair. Her name's Tamara, and she said, I want to stay sober more than anything else. She's living down in the industrial park with some guy. She's lost her kids, her family, her home, her car, her job. She's got nothing. And so we took turns picking her up, taking her to the meetings. My time wasn't until Friday and the girls are calling me. They're going, man, have you seen her? She looks bad, Claudia. She looks bad. So I go to pick her up on Friday and her eyes are swollen shut and she's clawing them because she thinks there's stuff in there. And uh, I don't know how she got the black eyes. But anyway, it was it was bad. And we got her honey and orange juice and we fed her and she kind of smoothed dried out. But then she went crazy again that night and was going to a football game about 2 in the morning. They put her in the John Peter Smith on the 8th floor in Fort Worth. Went up there to see her the next day and I was talking to the social worker and he said, well, you know, she's got somewhat of a wet brain. I called my sponsor and I said... Gracie, she got some point of a wet brain. And she said, you're forgetting something, Claudia. I said, what am I forgetting? She said, you're forgetting God. You can't say what God can do. She got out of there. She went to Billy Gregory, got out, went to meetings, got a part-time job, got a piece of car, got another part-time job, a better piece of a car, AA fairy tale, got her kids back. Bought her a little house. She calls me one day and said, I'm going to be a plumber. I said, well, go on with your bad self and go be a plumber. <laughs> and she became a journeyman plumber. A journeyman plumber. And she calls me one day and she's got an inoperable brain tumor. And y'all, I was mad. I was mad. She tried so hard. She worked so hard. And she said, what are you mad about? I said, I'm mad at God. You tried so hard. She goes, but Claudia, I got my life back. And you know what? She did. She got a chance at life. Stuff happens. Life happens. The program can see me through everything. Thank you for having me. Thank you for my life. Thanks.
Thank you, Claudia. You are a treasure in Alcoholics Anonymous. I sure do appreciate everything that you have done for the fellowship throughout the years. Now, for you listening in, remember, we do not want you sharing gossip, but we would love for you to share this episode with a friend or family member. It may be just what they need today. So pause your device, click on that little share button, and share it with somebody uh, that you love. Now on to a little bit of listener feedback for you. Charlotte, excuse me, Charla writes in, S-H-A-R-L-A, writes in regarding PF, the episode called Practical Sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. That is ep, episode number 165. She said his, Pete's, episode was excellent. I really felt this. When I was 30, I realized the power that alcohol had over me via the many people I love who suffer from this addiction and the spiritual turmoil that comes with it. However, it was just the way I'd always lived my life. It was the way we'd operated and it didn't feel wrong, but I felt I was I was the thing that was wrong. I didn't fit. I didn't understand. I spent 30 years thinking I just needed to love better, be different, get good enough, or figure out how to help rather than make things worse. Thanks for recognizing the power of alcohol over those with alcoholism and those of us who have loved those suffering from this disease. This is a spiritual program, and I am so grateful that the rooms of AA and Al-Anon have most definitely saved my life. I was broken and lost. Hopelessness is real. And with this program and my higher power, I've found hope again. Thank you at Sober Speak John M for this podcast and all the vulnerability that radiates from each episode. This podcast continues to be a blessing in my recovery each day, one day at a time. Well, thank you, Charlotte. That was so sweet. God bless you. Thank you for writing in, and I'm glad that we can be a part of your life. Bernie DMs me on La Instagram, and he says, thank you for being there, John. I am taking in all I can. Sober since September 15th. I still haven't gotten the nerve to get on Zoom. I'm doing a lot of reading and listening to podcasts. At the end of my drinking, I was so good at isolation, and I know that is not good in recovery. Well, you are right there, Bernie, and I hope you find the rooms real soon, my friend. Jennifer writes in and she says, Hi, John. I am from the United Kingdom but have lived here in the U.S. now for over 40 years. I live near Seattle, and I have two grown children. I haven't started recovery yet, and I don't feel that I drink that much, but I've noticed that I think about wine during the day. I'm happy when I can have my first glass. Some nights it's none, some nights it's one glass and sometimes two to three, and then I don't feel good the next day. I feel I should stop for health reasons, Jennifer. Well, Jennifer, as you know, I offered to get you in touch with somebody in the program if you needed it, and good luck in your journey, and please keep us posted. Thank you very much. 
My friend Barry from across the pond in London writes in, Dear John, I hope this email finds you well, my friend. I just wanted to extend my thanks for the past 12 months of Sober Speak. In an extraordinary and challenging year, your voice, your message, and your humor, and your guests have provided welcome, relief, and support. Keep doing or keep going, my friend, and I wish you and your family a very happy Christmas. Your friend from across the pond in London town, London calling, lockdown London, what he said. <laughs> Thank you, Barry. A big smiley face there at the end. So good to hear from you, my friend from across the pond. Jim S., another friend of mine, through the podcast. This thing has brought me so many neat connections. Uh, He says, uh, thanks, John, and Merry Christmas to you and Shannon and the kids. And he says, Merry Christmas, Brenda J. I had copied him on an email to Brenda J., and it'll explain this in just a second. He says, I want you to know how much, and he's talking to Brenda J. here. Uh, not myself. He says, I want you to know, Brenda J., how much you have blessed me. I discovered Sober Speak two years ago, and the very first episode I listened to in January of 2019 was Do Not Be Discouraged, quote, uh, uh, unquote, by you. This week, Jim says, I celebrated one year sobriety. Good for you, Jim. That is fantastic. He says, I got 11 months sobriety last year, but a family tragedy unhinged me and I thought I needed a drink. So I started over with a whole new understanding of what powerless over alcohol really means. And now I have a year. God bless you, Jim. You're like me, man. Uh, uh, I was in and out for three years for whatever reason. It stuck a day at a time for a while now this last time. And uh, gosh, I feel so thankful just like you do, Jim. So this week, Brenda J., I posted in the Super, in the, in the Sober Speak Facebook group one of my favorite quotes from my very favorite Sober Speak podcast the, by the most awesome Brenda J. And, and the quote is, She said, I drank every drop I needed to, to help me to my knees. And I've worked every step and told every truth and that I've needed to in Alcoholics Anonymous to get me to my feet. Do not be discouraged. Do not be discouraged. And that's from episode number 50 from Brenda J., uh, if you haven't heard that, it is a mighty powerful episode. You probably want to go back and listen to that. And once again, Mr. Jim, Merry Christmas. Excuse me. Well, Merry Christmas too, but happy birthday to you, my friend. Rachel writes in. Rachel says, Hi, John. I will be 10 months sober on the 25th of this month. My sober date is a February 25th of 2020. And tomorrow is my 42nd birthday, and I'm feeling extremely blessed and proud of the journey that I have started this year. My higher power placed the AA fellowship in my life through an absolute miracle. I was having a crushing, I was having crushing anxiety, depression, and a knot in my stomach that wouldn't go away no matter how much I drank, and I was truly scared. 
I didn't know what to do one morning in February. I couldn't take it anymore, and I called a doctor's office to ask to be seen for my anxiety. They made an appointment for me within the hour, and I met with a very compassionate doctor who realized I was an alcoholic. She sat with me for over an hour and talked to me, and I felt so much relief to be, quote, seen, unquote, and to realize the devastation alcohol was creating to me physically. Before I left her office, she gave me a woman's business card and said, this is another patient of mine who wanted to give her phone number wanted me to give her phone number to any of my patients who are struggling with alcohol. Please call her to talk. God bless that doctor, Rachel. How about that? Anyway, she says, that phone number was my lifeline to AA. My now dear friend, Jess, hope you're listening to this, Jess, who answered my call when I reached out to her feeling lost and alone. She opened her heart and welcomed me into the fellowship. And from that day, the story just keeps getting better daily. I love your podcast, John, and have connected with almost every one of your speakers. I feel the kinship through suffering and the grateful hearts in each story. I'm going to read that again. I like that. I feel the kinship through suffering and the grateful hearts in each story. Such a lovely way to put that, Rachel. And she says, and now I'm off to doing my morning meditation and then head to my 7.30 a.m. home group meeting called As Bill Sees It in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania, a sober circle I am so grateful to be part of. A big heart, much love and thanks, Rachel. Well, hopefully the folks in the As Bill Sees It in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania, get to hear this particular episode. And uh, much love and thanks back out to you, Rachel. Thank you for writing in and God bless you. And God bless that doctor. She really knew what she was doing. Natalie writes in and the title of Natalie's, um, excuse me, the subject line of Natalie's email was episode 59. So obviously it's in regard to episode 59. She said, Hey, John, I have been going back and listening to some of your older podcasts. I have not found one that I didn't like or didn't learn something from, and it has helped me in my sobriety. Thank you so much for what you do and for what your guests are doing. With that in mind, at the end of the episode, there was a lady on episode number 59 named Patty who had 40 hours of sobriety and was... (laughs) It was irritated by your giggling, laugh out loud. <laughs> she, she won't. She wouldn't be the first. And then she says, and also on that episode was Carla, who celebrated sixty days. Is there any way for you to find out if these women are still sober today? If so. I would love for you to have one of them on the show, or perhaps you could just update us and let me know what they thought about, and I hope their sobriety is going well for them. The reason that it matters is because I got sober in 2018 as well. So when I heard the podcast, I was immediately curious as if they made it past those early days and into COVID. 
Anyway, thanks again for all you do. Curious from Palestine, Texas, Natalie R. It sounds like a Dear Abby thing, doesn't it? Well, dear Curious from Palestine, Texas, as you know, I emailed back. Uh, this has been a while since I've read it. I forgot about this. Um, and I said, you know, it's so hard for me to, to keep up with people who aren't writing in. But what I would do is go ahead and read this on the air. And Patty, if you're out there, and Carla, if you are out there from episode number 59, if you would please write in to me again at john at soberspeak.com, and we will read an update from your lives that sounds from your lives. It sounds like a soap opera from your lives on one of the upcoming episodes. So Natalie, thank you for writing in. And I love it. You know, I get a lot of people who write me about people that they hear about in one of these letters or emails that you guys write in. It's absolutely fascinating. I, I, I love it. I love that we have a community and that there are people out there when you write in that are out there praying for you, thinking about you. They, they're concerned about you. They want you to do well. And I love that you share your experience, strength, and hope and are so vulnerable with me and vulnerable with the listeners. It is absolutely incredible. Thank you again, Natalie. <clears throat> Excuse me. Aaron writes in and she says, Hi, John M. of Sober Speak. Well, hello, Aaron. She says, Right when the pandemic hit, I started listening to Sober Speak. Today, I listened to episode number 120. The reason being, oh, it must be one of the episodes from Gary K. Because she says, The reason being is that my dad's name was Gary, and I won't say his last name, but it starts with a K. So I have listened to a number of the podcasts featuring Gary Kay, and I always channel my dad who died in 2005, but was sober for a few days shy of 20 years when he died. So he was, oh, oh so he's almost 20 years sober when he died. He was only 71 and passed away after a stroke and heart attack. We were close, but I, but I got sober in 2012. So never got to share recovery with him. Oh, I always like what Gary Kay has to say. And he reminds me so much of my dad, to some extent, at least. You are a really good interviewer, John M. Every episode I listen to uh, helps me in some way. Thank you so much for what you do. I also heard you read tra uh, Transitions. Oh, and it was like listening to a friend. What she's talking about there is there is a... Um, there's a podcast called Transitions Daily uh, is dot org, and it's kind of like a uh, like a, a thing they do for uh, kind of like a daily reflections type of a podcast. I would call it. And it's it's probably more than that, but anyway. I'm doing a, a bad job of describing it, but they asked me, Buddy C actually asked me to read for for some of the days in November, and I was very honored to do that. So she must have heard me on that. Anyway, so, so now she says, I listen to a bunch of recovery podcasts on a regular basis. Sober Speak, The Recovery Show, Sober Full, She Recovers, Recovery Rocks, The Sober Therapist, and Transitions Daily, like I was just talking about. Take care, and thanks for all you do, Aaron K. Well, Aaron K., God bless you, and thanks for all you do, and thanks for being a part of this community. 
Finally, I think, is this the final? Yes, yes, the final. Last but not least, Wilson writes in. By the way, I told Wilson I really like his name. Uh, you know, like uh, Bill Wilson. That's what I'm referencing. I mean, I like his name anyway, but just the fact that his first name is the last name of our founder. I don't know. Is that serendipitous? Ooh. I, th- I think I just used a word that I really don't know what it means, but I said it anyway. Is it serendipitous? Wilson writes in, he says, Hi there, John, love your podcast. And I really enjoyed Bill C. talking about the four-step. He says, I was clean and sober for seven years in the other fellowship. I didn't say uh, which one that was, but anyway, it says service, sponsorship, etc. I got very involved. Life was great, though I still struggled, wrestled with God. The group can be enough for some, but for me, there was always the subtle nagging feeling that I needed more. That was never successfully addressed, and eventually I stopped doing the things that allowed me to recover. I put my career and family before my recovery. I lost everything once again. I got sober and returned to the rooms after six years of painful relapse this October. I'm in halfway and life is getting better. I was the, quote, edgy atheist guy. (laughs) I've never heard that term. I was the edgy atheist guy for decades before, before the first time I found recovery, in recovery, and during years long, long relapses. The thought that, quote, God may exist, but is not active in our lives, unquote, or, quote, no human can truly understand God, unquote, or, quote, look around, God has abandoned this place, unquote, blah, blah, blah. Those are thoughts that didn't really serve me well anymore. In fact, they never have. At almost 50, I'm finally realizing that simply the act of seeking a relationship with a God, higher power source that I don't need to understand is enough to grow spiritually. There is enough power in just the willingness to seek him, the second step, he says, and accept that his existence is possible for me to recover from active addiction. I don't fight it anymore today. Daily prayer? with humility to him as even possibly existing is enough for me to continue on with the steps and find happiness without the use of mood and mind altering substances, the same substances that stopped working for me decades ago. Anyway, substances are irrelevant. They are simply a symptom. I made a conscious decision to deal with those old resentments. And I was told by a few old long timers, uh, not to share about anything but alcohol hmm, towards AA and made a commitment to go through the steps in the big book. I still attend other fellowship as well uh, as their literature and quote grittiness unquote will always continue to resonate with me. Basically, I don't fight God anymore today, and I believe Bill said when he states many times that basically we are doomed without a God of our understanding. Thank you for your service. 
By the way, I started this email simply because I'm interested in the group that you mentioned, Laugh Out Loud. I tried to email John at kitchentableaa.com, but I bounced back. Can you help me with this, Wilson W.? So what he's talking about there is Wilson was trying to get on the daily email that Bill C sends out and he's at bill at kitchentableaa.com. And so he was trying to get on that and bounce back. And so I got him in touch with Bill C and, uh, Bill C said, by the way, he said, by the way, I, I forgot to say happy new year and, uh, spent Christmas yesterday writing a fourth step, such a way to cap off a tough year. I love that, that he was writing his four step on Christmas day. So anyway, I got him in touch with Bill C and Bill C got him on that email list. And then Wilson put, by the way, I am in West Palm beach, Florida, and I am a member of the day openers 7 a.m. at EDI club. So If anybody out there from the day openers at EDI Club, whatever that means, in West Palm Beach, Florida, is listening in, hello and give Wilson my best. And he says, hit me up anytime, John or Bill, especially if you're visiting. We are completely, quote, open for now. Our governor seems to be holding strong about not having Florida shut down again. More will always be revealed, of course. God bless you both, John and Bill C. Well, Wilson, thank you for all your feedback. And once again, to all of you listening, thank you for letting me and this podcast be a part of your life. God bless you one day at a time. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. I take this one week at a time. I will try my best to make it back next week. Adios, everybody.